The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 257th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, I'm bringing you Waverly Hills Sanatorium. So many of you throughout the last three and a half years have requested this location. And I've always put it on the back burner because it's been so overdone that I wanted to do things that hadn't been done a lot. But now I have been to Waverly Hill Sanatorium, and so I am ready to share the history and hauntings of this fabulous location with you. And yes, definitely had some experiences there I am looking forward to sharing with you. And I think I caught a couple of EVP, which I will play for you and see if you hear the same things I did. The reason why I was at Waverly Hill Sanatorium is that I was part of a live show that I did with Hillbilly Horror Stories and Pleasing Terrors in Louisville, Kentucky. And we thought, well, if we're here, we might as well go hit up a haunted location. So a bunch of the people that came to the live show came over to Waverly Hills and did the tour there as well. We had from the Spooktacular crew, Tammy and Brian, Quinn and her boyfriend, Matthew, Kristen and her husband, Heather, Rachel, Tiffany, Deanne, Kimberly, and I believe it was her husband as well, Matt, who unfortunately wasn't able to get on the tour with us. He was on the second tour, but he was at the show. Annie and her daughter, Maggie and her husband, Joe, and Melody and her friend. So it was so cool to have so many people there. And actually, there were 15 of us that did the Louisville Ghost Tour on Friday night before the live show. So... Just a great, fun weekend hanging out with the Spooktacular crew and doing haunted stuff. Now, before I get into sharing all of that with you, I would like to welcome into the Spooktacular crew Katniss, Cheryl Lynn, and we have a Cheryl P as well. So welcome to both you Cheryls, Melissa, Senny, Aaron with an E, and Erica with a C. Welcome. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment Naughty was suggested by April Barber. 
you probably were unaware that the center of the universe is located in, of all places, Tulsa, Oklahoma. One just follows the brick path that leads to the railroad tracks at the corner of West Archer Street and North Boston Avenue, just northwest of the Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame. There one finds a marker indicating that the center of the universe has been discovered. And what proves that this spot is the center of the universe? A very weird and mysterious acoustic phenomenon. This phenomenon is that when one stands in the center of the circle and calls out, they will discover their voice echoing back at them like a private amplified echo chamber. And even stranger, the sound is echoed back much louder. For people standing outside the circle, they hear a very distorted voice or nothing at all. Legend claims that even a foghorn could be going off in the center of the circle and nobody would hear it outside the circle. Studies have been unable to prove what is causing the weird anomaly, and that certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, this month in history. In the month of May, on the 22nd in 1859, author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. He was the second of ten children. He decided to get into medicine and attended the University of Edinburgh's medical school, where he received a Bachelor of Medicine and Master of Surgery qualifications in 1881 and an MD in 1885. One of his professors inspired him to create the character of Sherlock Holmes. Holmes made his first appearance in A Study in Scarlet, a novel-length story published in Beaton's Christmas Annual of 1887. It probably seemed odd to Conan Doyle's friends that he could create such a logical character who held to science when he himself was a big believer in the paranormal and routinely took part in seances. Conan Doyle addressed his beliefs in a short novel named The Mystery of Clumber, which was published in 1889. He wrote Sherlock Holmes stories through to 1926. He died in Windlesham, his home in Crowborough, Sussex, in 1930. His funeral was held by members of the spiritualist community who celebrated his passing beyond the veil. On July 13, 1930, thousands of people filled London's Royal Albert Hall for a seance during which Estelle Roberts, the spiritualist medium, claimed to have contacted Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Now I'm going to play a little promo for the Pottern Love Conference, which is going to be in New Orleans in August. Would love to have you guys join me there. I'm going to be on a couple of panels, women in podcasting and a paranormal one. We're definitely going to be planning a vampire tour. So come on down. It gives you a good reason to come to New Orleans. You can meet a whole bunch of the independent podcasters that you love and hang out and do some creepy stuff too. Your discount code for History Ghost Bump is B-U-M-P, Bump. You put that in when you get your tickets, you'll get 10% off. Hi, I'm Dina Marie, the host of the Twisted Philly podcast, and I've got a question for you. Do you love podcasts? Because I sure do. And that's why the podcast community, Podcast We Listen To, is hosting their very first podcast convention for listeners. It's called Pottern Love. 
The Pondern Love Convention is for listeners by listeners. It's for all of us. And it includes podcasts from every genre you could imagine, including comedy, movies and TV, pop culture, paranormal, history, health and fitness, true crime, and so many more. Our first convention is August 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2018, in one of the coolest cities in the country, New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's being held at the Intercontinental Hotel, which is a premier French Quarter hotel. The location is amazing. And the room rate can't be beat either. It's only $129 a night. Tickets are on sale on the website at www.pottern.love. That's www.podern.love. There are over 40 independent podcasts already lined up to present at Pottern Love, and we'll be adding more before the convention. Plus, featured podcasters have discount codes, so you can get a discount on your tickets. Be sure to follow Pottern Love on Twitter and Facebook for the latest convention updates, news, information about new shows that are joining, and links to a dedicated website just for Pottern Love attendees to book their hotel room. We can't wait to see you this August in New Orleans. Tuberculosis was a horrible disease in which people had to watch their loved ones literally waste away before their eyes. For this reason, it was commonly referred to as consumption because it was as if there was something eating these people up from the inside out. And we know from a lot of the stories that we have told here on History Goes Bump, when they didn't understand what tuberculosis was and they didn't know that it was this airborne disease, way back... There were people who thought that it was actually vampires that were attacking these people and causing them to just waste away. One of the nicer locations that were built to help people with TB was Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. A group of us visited and toured this historical hospital where so many people met their final end at the hands of that dreaded disease, which was known widely as the White Plague. For this reason, the sanatorium is famously known to be very haunted. For those of us that visited, I think most of us left convinced that some kind of supernatural activity is happening. Join me as I share the history and hauntings of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Waverly Hills Sanatorium looms large when first approached. You wind back through this back area, you go past a really nice looking golf course, you see you're going into a neighborhood area, and then you go up into this wooded area and you're at the bottom and you can kind of see Waverly Hills standing up on top of the hill. It's behind this gate. When you arrive at the gate, an employee comes down and instructs everyone to drive up the hill to a parking lot. The trees open up into a full view of the sanatorium when you reach the top of the hill. Despite the fact that it has stood abandoned for the most part for many years, the building looks to be in remarkable condition. The screens no longer stretch in the windows of the solarium, giving an eerie open feeling, and gargoyles continue their sentinel duty at the top of the building, adding to the creep factor. And I took a really creepy picture at night up on the fifth floor of those gargoyles and put it up on the Instagram. We were instructed to walk to a rear building for check-in, and you immediately feel just what a presence the building is all by itself, minus the stories of ghosts. 
There's not a lot of these places that are left open, certainly not ones that you can go in and tour. So you just feel the weight of that. And then you know that thousands of people died here and they died of a horrible disease in a horrible way. And then you throw the ghost stories in on top of it and you just know this is going to be an experience like no other. Waverly Hills sits on a spot where a school once stood. Major Thomas H. Hayes had bought the land in 1883 with the goal of building a school for his daughters to attend. That school was just a one-room schoolhouse that was located on Page's Lane. Lizzie Lee Harris was hired to be the teacher, and she named the school Waverly School after some novels named Waverly Novels. They happened to be her favorite, sounded like a good name, so why not? Major Hayes followed suit and named the property Waverly Hill. And they spelled all of this L-E-Y, but you will notice that today Waverly does not have L-E-Y, it's just L-Y. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name after purchasing the land and opening the sanatorium. The original sanatorium that they built was not the large structure that stands today. The first was a frame building with a hipped roof and only had two stories. It could accommodate around 40 to 50 patients. The climate of Jefferson County, which was near the Ohio River, was a perfect breeding ground for tuberculosis. It was wet, cold, damp. That being the case, because it was so conducive to the spread of TB by the early 1900s, the county was hit very hard. The original hospital was ill-equipped to handle the amount of patients that would be flooding in. Obviously, if it could only accommodate 50, it needed to accommodate hundreds. The city of Louisville started to plan a new hospital in 1911. They had no intention of including admission of people suffering from pulmonary tuberculosis. So the city said, well, we'll make another hospital for all these sick people. But if you have pulmonary tuberculosis, you're not allowed to come in. Way too contagious. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital was given $25,000 to erect a new hospital for the care of advanced cases of pulmonary tuberculosis. In order to start the building, the patients from the city hospital had to be moved to tents set up on the grounds at Waverly Hills. The new pavilion was finished in 1912 and could care for another 40 patients. A children's pavilion was added as well for both sick kids and the children of patients. The plan for Waverly was to continue adding buildings, and it eventually became like many other TB properties that we've talked about here on History Goes Bump. These properties were very self-sufficient mini-cities unto themselves. Anybody who worked there lived there. The patients would grow their own food. They would raise their own animals. It was a way to just keep them away from the general public so that they wouldn't make other people sick. They had water treatment facilities, their own post offices. You name it, it was there. Eventually, though, there was a desire to build a larger structure, and that is the building that still exists today. Construction on this began in March of 1924. This is a brick five-story Gothic-styled building. It was designed by architect James J. Gaffney. The sanatorium would be able to house up to 400 patients comfortably. It was designed to provide a variety of treatments and was considered state-of-the-art at the time, despite the fact that many of the treatments they use for TB we would consider barbaric today. And this was not a cheap place to stay. So that's why they didn't have to have room for thousands and thousands of patients because not a whole lot of people could afford to stay here. The facility officially opened on October 17, 1926. One of the treatments offered at Waverly Hills was time out on the solarium. These were large patio areas on the outside of each floor where patients would sit for hours to take in the fresh air and enjoy the peace of the wooded area that surrounded the sanatorium. Since they didn't know what really caused the disease, they thought, well, if we give people plenty of fresh air, that's going to help them get better. And while I'm sure it did make them feel better for a time, we all know fresh air is not going to cure what is wrong with you when you are sick with something like tuberculosis. 
Patients would be outside in these solariums for hours at a time, sometimes up to 13 hours a day. So you're thinking, what would they be doing out there? Obviously, some would read books, but they also had a system set up there, which was kind of ingenious and very innovative for the time. Patients could listen to music or the radio station that broadcasted from within Waverly Hills out there. And our tour guide, who was Chelsea, said it was like the first iPod where they could kind of choose what they wanted to listen to. They each had their own headsets so they would just plug into this little area on the wall. Now, they were taken out to the solarium irregardless of what the weather was doing outside. They didn't just go out there in the summer. They were out there in the winter, too. And as you all probably know, Louisville does occasionally get snow. There are historic pictures showing patients out on the solarium covered in snow. In order to help keep the patients warm, they were placed under electric blankets. And this is one of the first places where they used electric blankets. I don't know how well that helps if you've got snow on top of you, but hey, at least they gave them electric blankets. Another treatment was time in the sunroom, which was a room with heat lamps that were to provide a feeling as though being in the sun, because they thought sun and the air would help to cure you. There were also these other rooms that were across from the sunrooms, or some of the patients' rooms that opened up into the solarium. These were tomb-like rooms, much smaller. They had one window kind of looking out to the outside, but there was no way to get outside. These were rooms where people were taken to die. The more barbaric treatments that were used here at Waverly included electric shock for people with TB of the brain. And then there were these awful surgical procedures that removed ribs and muscle to help people to expand their lungs better, I guess. But you can imagine if you take enough of the ribs away and enough of the muscle away, not a very healthy thing. Not only that, but a lot of people would get infections from this kind of thing. If they did survive the surgery, they wouldn't survive the infection later. They also would use these balloons to expand people's lungs. Imagine putting a balloon in somebody's lung. That's not good. You don't want balloons in your lungs. That procedure would usually kill people as well. Just because you're expanding the lung does not mean people are getting air into those lungs. But one of the worst treatments was a process where a lung would be deflated because TB needs oxygen to survive. And they thought, well, if we deflate that lung, it'll kill the TB, then we'll reinflate it and the person will be cured. This treatment did help some people, but mainly it ended up killing people because if you're deflating their lungs, they're not breathing. The facility served as a tuberculosis hospital until 1961. It was in 1943 that streptomycin was discovered and it proved to successfully treat TB. This eventually would make Waverly Hills obsolete and so then it did close in 1961 with any patients still remaining being transferred to Hazelwood Sanatorium, which was also in Louisville. The following year, it reopened after renovation as Woodhaven Medical Services. This was a geriatric facility for people with mobility issues and dementia. This facility ran until it was closed by the state in 1981, and this was supposedly due to patient neglect. Simpsonville developer J. Clifford Todd bought the hospital in 1983 for $3,005,000. And Todd joined forces with architect Milton Thompson. The men planned to convert it into a minimum security prison for the state. Waverly, as I mentioned, is surrounded by a neighborhood. There's a golf course there. Obviously, these people were not about to allow a minimum security prison in their backyard. So the men switched to a plan to build apartments, but that fell through as well. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Robert Alberhaski bought the property in 1996 with the hope of turning it into an arts and worship center. He wanted to also build a replica of the Christ the Redeemer statue, you know, the one that's in Rio de Janeiro. This statue was going to be 150 feet tall and 150 feet wide and placed up on the roof of the sanatorium. He was going to get the money for this through donations, but that fell through and the project was canceled the following year. Then Tina and Charlie Mattenley bought Waverly Hills in 2001, and the Mattenleys hold tours of Waverly Hills, which is what we went on, and host a haunted house attraction each Halloween, with proceeds going towards restoration of the property. And restoration is going well, it's just very slow. The rooms that we saw that were restored look great. They're getting it back into its original condition, and they're adding some restrooms to it. It really is going to be a very cool place. And what I've heard is that they want to turn it into a hotel. I don't know if that will eventually happen or not. They're definitely making efforts for it. So it's not just talk that we're going to restore the place. They actually are restoring it. Waverly Hills Historical Society is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is dedicated to the preservation and restoration of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. So know that if you do go there and take a tour, that some of the money is going towards keeping that building up and running. So now we get to the good stuff, right? It's no secret that Waverly Hills is haunted. You've seen it on all the ghost shows. You've probably heard it from some of your friends who have been there. You've probably read about it somewhere. All kinds of haunting activity is going on here. If there is a place that you could say is the most haunted in, I don't know, maybe even all the world, I would say Waverly Hills is probably pretty tops on that list. Now, for me, when it comes to talking about a most haunted location, I base it on my personal experience. So I tell people the most haunted location I've been to is the St. Augustine Lighthouse because that's where I generally get an experience every time I go. Well, I have to say that Waverly Hills is right up there. Not just because I had one experience, I had multiple experiences. And some of these were shared with multiple people, which to me backs that up. Let's talk about some of the general hauntings before I get into talking about the actual tour that we did and what we were told on the tour and then the experiences that we had. While I generally leave it up to you to decide if a place is haunted or not, I can tell you that I believe something I cannot explain is going on in this building. There are stories that two nurses killed themselves in room 502. You've probably heard room 502 mentioned a lot. It's supposedly the most haunted location in the building. One of the nurses hanged herself and another jumped to her death. And the one who hanged herself supposedly was having an affair with one of the doctors who was married. And as the story usually goes, she gets pregnant. He rejects her. And so in her despair, she hung herself from a light fixture in room 502. I'll tell you a little bit differently about that in just a moment. They are believed to haunt the fifth floor, and one has shown up in photographs. You've probably seen it floating around on the internet. If you have not, Google Waverly Hills Nurse Room 502, and you will see the picture. It's creepy as heck. I don't know if it's been doctored or not. If it has not been doctored, it is a full-bodied apparition in that picture that is really, uh, I can't explain that. And I think I've heard people say that she does match the picture of one of the nurses who used to work at the sanatorium. The smell of fresh baked bread has come from the former kitchen 
and there's nothing in that kitchen that can work anymore. So it's not like somebody was just happened to be cooking bread in there. Many ghost hunters claim that the ghost of a small boy named Timmy roams the halls. They'll bring a little ball for him to play with and it'll roll around and that kind of thing. Well, our tour guide Chelsea explained that there are no records of a Timmy at the sanatorium and this was not a floor that the children would ever have been on. So she doesn't know why there would be a child named Timmy on this floor, why he would be hanging out there. He could not have died there or anything of that nature. So she doesn't really believe that there is a child named Timmy here. And as we all know, there's many reasons why a ball might roll. The floor could be uneven. It is an old building. It's open. So there's wind and other things going through here. So there's a lot of reasons why a ball might move. The creepiest story in connection to Waverly was told by Jerry of Hillbilly Horror Stories during the live show. What he shared about was Waverly Hill Sanatorium, and he talked about this thing called the Creeper. The Creeper is a dark and terrifying entity that crawls along the floors and the walls, and many believe it is demonic in nature. So you can just see this thing has come totally out of a horror movie. And the way it is described, if it is a human spirit, it's been twisted by the trauma of tubercular death. So this is not something that just looks like a human being that is crawling around on the floor or on the walls. This is a dark, twisted-looking creature. People who see it are filled with dread. I can honestly say, after we all heard that story, the one thing that we did not want to run into on this tour was the creeper. And I don't think any of us did. Thank goodness. The Cult of Weird website reported the following experience. As we continued our conversation, I began to notice a small orb-shaped pinpoint of light moving across the second floor solarium. It was the size of a firefly, but a blue-white color, and it would disappear only to reappear with perfect timing in every other window. My companion asked if I could see a blue light. I said that I could. We watched as it traveled the entire length of the west side of the building, heading east. At first, it appeared as if it was inside the building, but as it progressed, it moved up above the solarium windows in front of the exterior brick. When this happened, it became two separate identical points of light spaced so closely they almost touched each other. When the light neared a bend in the building, the sanatorium is roughly question mark shaped, we lost sight of it. The light traveled roughly 350 feet in approximately 10 seconds. So let's just pretend for a moment that somebody was up there with a flashlight and running around or whatever. Moving 350 feet in 10 seconds is not humanly possible. And then to move from being inside the solarium to outside the brick, you try to explain that to me. I can't explain that. So we started our tour. And what they do is they have 50 people that do two separate tours. The first one was at 730. And I believe the second one was at 930. Dina of the Twisted Philly podcast, Jeremy of podcasts we listened to were on the second tour along with uh, Matt, who designed our Haunted Mansion shirts that we have in the Emporium. And then what they do is they have these two separate tours and then they split the 50 into two groups of 25. So we made sure that we had the spectacular crew all on ours. Jerry and Tracy were going at the same time as us. So they were with the one group of 25. And then Mike Brown of Pleasing Terrors and myself were a part of the other group of 25, which included a lot of the spectacular crew. Our tour started at the body shoot. Those of you who've watched any of the shows about Waverly Hills, this is probably the most well-known location there, the body shoot. For those that don't know, this was a long shoot that went downhill a very long way. 
And it, it's just like this flat concrete thing that used to have a track system that would carry the bodies to the bottom. And then families could pick up the bodies or the local funeral parlor could come and collect them. Then there are stairs right next to it so that people could walk down next to this track system. Well, we were invited to walk down those concrete stairs. Now, we weren't allowed to go all the way down to the bottom because it is a long way down there. Anybody who did the tour will tell you, whoa, not only is it a long way down, but then you got to walk all the way back up. And I don't know how many stairs there were, but it was a long trek and very steep. So you had to be in good health to do this. It was creepy as heck. And thankfully for those of us that did the earlier tour, because it's getting closer to summer, we still had quite a bit of ambient light for most of our tour. Dina didn't have any light for her tour, and she was very scared for a lot of it. And I can only imagine being in a lot of these locations with no light at all, because the only time we were allowed to turn our flashlights on was when we were going downstairs. So just creepy. And it it smells. It has a smell about it. Not like death, but you can imagine that a lot of people have gone down there and are horsing around and urinated down there. It kind of smells like a subway system in New York. No offense, New York, but that's kind of what I envisioned. The reason why the body shoot was created is the administrators didn't want patients to get depressed seeing so many people dying around them because they were losing at least a person a day. And you can imagine if you're just watching these people drop dead around you, you're going to start losing hope that you're going to beat TB. So they decided this is the best way to transport the bodies so that they weren't taking them past people in the hallways and things like that. And it was in a location where people really couldn't see, like if they looked out of the solarium, they would not see this. Our guide, Chelsea, told us a story about an experience that she had at the body shoot. She was given a tour and had her back to the shoot. She noticed that several people in her group were getting these startled looks on their faces, you know, kind of like you're looking at people and their eyes get wide, their mouths start to open, and you start thinking, what is behind me? So she decides to turn around, and when she does, she sees a white, misty figure at the bottom of the shoot. Now, she's had enough experiences at Waverly Hills that she thinks to herself, okay, I'm okay with this as long as whatever that is just stays where it is. She turns back around and she sees that her entire group has run away. And she said their feet couldn't have even touched the ground because she didn't really hear them run away. She just turned around and they were gone. So then she turns back around to see, you know, it is scary to see this white entity, but what made them all just take off like that? When she turns around, she sees that this white figure is now running straight at her. So she took off after her group as well. We didn't have any experiences in the body shoot, and I didn't pick up any EVP or anything of that nature. We spent some time in the refrigeration room. This is where they kept the meats, fruits, and vegetables. Part of it was actual refrigerators, and the rest of it was kind of a dry storage area where it would keep things from rotting. Chelsea asked for a volunteer, and one of our spectacular crew, this was Quinn's boyfriend, Matthew, volunteered. Chelsea said hi, kids, and explained that she was going to ask the children who used to play hide-and-seek in the refrigeration system if it would be okay for Matthew to enter one of the units. So she's going to shut him up inside one of the refrigeration units. I was like, Matthew, you're crazy. She also told Matthew that he needed to ask for permission. So before he went inside, he asked the kids if he could go inside. Chelsea goes through this process ever since one of the people she put in the unit on a previous tour told her that the children had said that they needed to be asked for permission for someone to enter. And they described to her that they were seeing the children. I don't know if this person was a medium or if they were just sensitive or if they actually saw these full-bodied apparitions. They said the children were inside the unit with this person and said, you didn't ask permission to come in here. You need to ask permission to come in here. So he tells Chelsea that through the door. He goes, Chelsea, the kids are putting their hands up on the door. So Chelsea put her hand up on the door as well and apologized to them and said, 
from now on, I will ask permission. And so she's always done it from that time. So then she shuts Matthew up inside the unit. After she does that, she explains to us that sometimes they weren't able to get the bodies out of Waverly quickly enough. So they were going to have to store them. And so they'd have to put them in the refrigerator. So they would have to move the vegetables and the meat out and put the bodies in. Now, she said the kids didn't ever play hide and seek in there when the bodies were in there. But how does she know? (laughs) People who are closed up in the unit routinely feel their hair being pulled or their shirts being tugged upon. And then Chelsea played an EVP that a guest had recorded on their phone. And you can hear the guest say, ready or not. And then a child's voice responds, here I come. It was very creepy to hear that. It was clear as day. No doubt about it. There was definitely a child calling out. And it wasn't like there was a child in the group that was saying it. It had this unearthly tone to it. I think you guys know, if you've heard an EVP, it has this unearthly tone to it. You can just tell that it's not on the same wavelength as our our vocalizations. Now, anytime you have a large group, especially in a place like this, you usually have a person that you call the caboose. And it's another tour guide who is making sure that everybody stays with the group, that nobody gets lost or wanders off on their own. And this is certainly not a building that you want people to be doing that because it's really not safe. I cannot remember the name of the guy who was our caboose, even though I spent quite a bit of the evening talking to him. I hung out with him a lot. He told me a story about an experience that he had on the fourth floor. A group had arrived in a chauffeur-driven van, and the driver decided to join the tour. So he was hanging out with a guy who was doing the caboose thing. They were bringing up the rear, and as everybody was getting ready to leave the fourth floor, both of these men distinctly heard the sound of dance music floating up the hall. Now, there's no electricity in this building, so there's no way that music could be playing like that, and it wasn't like it was coming from somebody's phone who was ahead of them. It was coming from the rear, and so they knew that it was something unearthly. Then they could also hear the sound of feet dancing on the floor. The former cafeteria of Waverly is haunted by the ghosts of a little boy and a girl. And there's also a resident ghost cat here. People feel it rubbing up against their ankles. There was a chapel at Waverly for services. And they also used to do arts and crafts in this room. On one particular night, outside one of the windows, an apparition appeared in a picture. Two women went up and wanted to get their picture, I guess, against the window. And so somebody took the picture. And when they looked back at the camera, between both of these women, there was another female head. And it was clearly on the other side of the glass. It was kind of above them. And when you walked over to these windows, you could see that it was just a sheer drop down. So there was no ledge or anything for anybody to be standing on to have been in this picture. And the picture, that was creepy as all get out as well. Did not look like a regular girl. Let me just put it that way. Now, while we were on the third floor, we went out onto the solarium. And you really get a feel for what it was like for people to be out here. There used to be screens in the windows. Of course, those screens are long gone. So you have to be kind of careful because you don't want to go, whoa, flying off of the building. We went inside Lois's room and said hi to her. Chelsea told us her story. She shared a photo of Lois, who had passed away in the room at the age of 28 from TB. She suffered from it for eight years, and she spent all of those years at Waverly. Her sister Audrey also had the dreaded disease and joined her in the room. She managed to recover and lived to be in her 90s. Investigators have picked up EVP of a female voice saying Audrey as though Lois is searching for her sister. A flowery smell is sometimes detected, and she likes to play with Chelsea's hair. People will leave little mementos or knickknacks, flowers, that kind of thing in Lois's closet for her. We then went to an area where there had been an elevator shaft. A homeless man and his dog were thrown down to the bottom of the shaft and reports claim that it had been a ritualistic murder. 
The homeless man had lived in the building for quite some time and he was very protective of it. So he would walk the floors and just make sure that everything was okay. And these thugs came in one night and whatever they did to him, they were underage. So Chelsea could not tell us the full story about it or any names or anything. Whatever they did, it was obviously heinous because this poor homeless man, you know, what did he ever do to them? And then to kill a dog too. This is where I had my first paranormal experience of the evening, and it was shared by the whole group. I clearly heard a dog whimper while Chelsea was telling us the story. Now, when I first hear this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, she's talking about a dog. That's quite suggestive. So, you know, maybe I'm just in my mind hearing a dog whimper because she's talking about a dog. Well, Chelsea asked if we all had heard a dog whimper and everybody said yes. So I'm like, okay, the whole group of us have heard a dog whimper. So I obviously was not imagining it. That had to be it. And what was cool about this is I will occasionally pick things up on EVP like this that you may or may not hear when you listen back to it later. But this was audible. It was as if the dog was really there. It was that loud. If your dog was in the room with you and whimpered, that's what this sounded like. Then a little bit later, there was another whimper that was followed by a slamming door. And at first, it sounded kind of like the whimper sounded more like a squeak. And then the door was closing. So it was almost like the door was making a squeaking noise as it closed. Chelsea pointed out a couple of things. Number one, why the door was closing. Who knows? Because there was nobody around to close the door that apparently was down the hall closing. And she said that door does not squeak. So the fact that it sounded like a dog whimper and we just heard a dog whimper, I'm thinking it was another dog whimper. But even if I didn't think that, we heard the dog whimper again, a third time. And it was even clearer and more audible than the very first one. I have no doubt that the ghost of a dog had joined us or at least some kind of residual whimpering was going on there. It was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life when it comes to something paranormal because I absolutely love dogs and to know that that dog was just sitting there and that he was still continuing on in an afterlife, it was just, I thought it was very cool. So I am going to treasure that for a long time. Very, very cool. We went up to the fifth floor, which opened up onto the roof. And we went out there and it's, of course, a full moon. You couldn't have picked a better night for it. It was cold. I brought my winter jacket or what I consider to be a winter jacket here in Florida because it was getting down into the 30s up there. And then I took pictures of the gargoyles up there. It was just really, really cool to be out there on the roof and you could see down and everything. This is said to be the most active floor. Chelsea told the story of the nurse who hanged herself in the center room. Now, earlier I told you that these nurses had killed themselves in room 502, but she said, no, the nurse who hanged herself was found in the center room, the center, this like center area, not in a room off to the side. I went into room 502 and there was a spirit box in there and they were actually doing a spirit box session. And I made the following recording of that. How many of you are here right now? Two. Yeah. Two. That was two different mixes. Yeah. Two Is it okay if my guests all say hello to you? Cool. All right, guys, go ahead and say hello. Hello. Do you like meeting new people?
Before I made this recording, what had happened is I was recording the tour because I like to do that so I can go back and listen to get all the facts and to remember the stories because you get so much information on these tours that it's hard to remember everything. Well, I also was worried about having my battery die and I didn't want to lose because I had taped all of the live show talks that we had given and I didn't want to lose any of that because the battery died or anything like that. So I was trying to conserve my battery. So I only recorded half of the tour. I literally turned it off right before we had the dog experience, which I'm so bummed about because I know if I can pick up an EVP, I'm definitely going to pick up the dog whimpering. So I am so bummed that I did not get that on tape. So I did not have it on during this part, but they set us loose to do our own little investigating if we wanted to walk around with our flashlights. So I pulled out my recorder and I decided that I was going to go ahead and see if I could pick up any EVP. I use an H1 zoom and in order for this to work, you have to pull down and hold a switch to turn it on. It's not just a little push button or just a quick little click thing. You have to hold it down for it to turn on and you usually have to hold it for about five seconds. I did this and then there's a little display that lights up on the front of it and then you can push the record button and a little red light will come on to let you know that you're recording. So I push the record button and I don't see the red light come on. Now I'm in the dark, so I'm like, okay, well, what happened? And so I I try to push the record button again and I'm getting no little red light. So I turn on my flashlight. I look at the display. There's nothing on the display. I'm like, what the hell? Obviously the recorder turned itself off. Now, the way that you turn the recorder on is the same way you turn it off. You have to hold it down for about five seconds for it to turn itself off. So it doesn't just click off unless the battery dies. And I was thinking in my mind when I looked at the display, because I was worried about the battery, I thought it looked like it still had half of a battery. But I thought, well, you know, if it turned itself off, the battery must be dead. Let me see if I can get it to turn on again. So I hold it down. Display comes back on. I look at it very quickly. I've got my flashlight and everything, too, so I can double check it. But, you know, I looked on the lighted up part. Yeah, it's got usually there's four bars. There were two bars in the battery. So it has half of a battery. Okay, the battery's fine. It must have been a fluke. I hit the record button, the little red light doesn't come on. I put my flashlight on it, the display is out. The recorder's turned itself off again. I'm like, okay, there must be something wrong with the battery. It may look like it has half of a charge, but there must be something wrong with it, and it's just not going to turn on. I tried a third time. Hold it down, display turns on. I hit the record button, and boom, the red light comes on. Yay, it is finally recording, and that's what I used to record that spirit box session that you just heard, which tells you what. The recorder recorded for a period of time. I had it recording for 10 to 15 minutes. So if there was a problem with the battery, like it was going dead, and that's why the H1 Zoom was not staying on, how did it record 10 to 15 minutes of stuff after that? So I, you know, I have never had that issue. I, Whenever I've turned that thing on, it stays on and it records. I've never had a problem with it unless the battery is dead. So... I don't know. And what's strange is usually when people have a spiritual experience when it comes to things turning off and on and batteries, it's that the battery gets drained. But my battery was clearly not drained because then it worked. I don't know what that was. Was it supernatural? Maybe. I just know that Dina had an experience up on that fifth floor that was pretty creepy that involved something. She shared it on her bonus cast. So if you're a supporter of Dina, you'll be able to hear about that. The fourth floor was by far the creepiest floor. It was the last place we were taken. A lot of people will tell you that this is the most haunted floor. 
I don't know, because it's really hard to tell if you're actually having an experience on this floor or not. But it is definitely creepy as hell because there is no light here and they do not let you take any kind of light in there. You got to put your phones away. Do not turn on your flashlights. Anything that lights up, they wanted you to get rid of. Now, I can tell you that most of the Spooktacular crew felt very uneasy on this floor, and even some of them felt a little bit sick. Me? Again, I have not yet had a scary paranormal experience, and it takes a lot to scare me. I'm not afraid of a lot. I know I joke around on here a lot that, you know, if I saw this, I would need my Depends, and I'd pee my pants, and I'd run, and blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe I would if I saw a full-bodied apparition, but since I haven't had that experience yet... So far, every experience I've had has not really scared me. So I'm not really afraid of anything. I wasn't afraid to go into Waverly. A little apprehensive, I would say, because I just didn't know what would happen. But I I wasn't what I would say terrified or scared. And when we were done with the evening, I was just kind of in awe of what we'd experienced. And I'm ready to go back again. So definitely going to visit again. So before we go through the metal door that leads into the fourth floor, Chelsea told us that some teenagers were in ransacking the place. They'd broken in with an axe and somehow they'd gotten locked in past this door. And the security guard was walking around. He hears this hollering. He goes and he opens up the door and these kids are standing there holding an axe. They've been using the axe to try to get through the door and the marks are still there on the door. And he's like, okay, first of all, what are you doing here? Because you're not supposed to be here. You're trespassing. And they were like, something locked us in here. Something out here in the hallway would not let us out. And he was like, okay, well, this door does not lock. So there's nobody here to lock the door. It's just me. And I didn't lock you in. Well, these kids were terrified. So the haunting that's going on on this floor seems to be something that is unworldly, something that may not necessarily be human. A lot of people got the feeling that it was demonic in nature. This is a place that is crawling, supposedly, with shadow figures. Chelsea instructed us on how to look down the hallway. They split us into two different groups. One went to one hallway. The other went to the other hallway so that you could see clearly all the way down. They asked for volunteers to walk down to the end of the hallway with their arms outstretched. And then we were supposed to look down at them and blink our eyes a lot and not focus on anything in particular, like not to keep looking in a certain doorway. Because they said, if you do that, then you will start to see things that are not necessarily there. Well, I was blinking a lot. I was looking around a lot. And I thought I saw two shadow figures. One looked to be about three feet tall in a doorway that was about four doors down from me. But again, it's dark with only a little bit of ambient light. You're blinking. I don't know what's playing tricks on my eyes. Am I, you know, there's different things, pareidolia and things like that, that your eyes will finish things for you. Like if you start to see something, it'll finish patterns and things for you. So I wasn't sure if my eyes were just playing tricks on me. I was standing next to the guy who was the caboose and visiting with him. And he goes, well, I'm seeing something that looks about three feet tall in this doorway to the right. And I was thinking, okay, that's pretty specific. And that's exactly what I'm seeing. So I was like, "Mm, maybe my eyes are not playing tricks on me. I don't know if that's really what I was seeing, but it was definitely something that was not that there's There was nothing there that could cast a shadow, and it seemed like it was kind of moving in and out of the door a little bit. Then I'm looking over to the left side, and it looks like there's this, I'd almost call it the hat man, because it looked like it had a hat on, but not for sure. But it looked like this body that was kind of looming a little bit taller than a standard six-foot person, leaning out of a doorway and then going back into it and then leaning back out the doorway towards the person who was standing at the end of the hallway. And I believe it was Matthew, Quinn's boyfriend again, who had volunteered to go down there. So to me, it looked like the shadow figure was kind of looming over him and then pulling back. The guy who was the caboose guy says, I see a shadow figure looming in and out of a door on the left side. And I was going, okay, that's what I'm seeing too. So were my eyes playing tricks on me? 
I don't know. I would not swear to you that I saw shadow figures, but I think I saw shadow figures. They didn't scare me. Again, it was another kind of, I felt a little bit of awe about it, but then I also was not totally sure that that's what I was seeing. And I wasn't getting any feelings from it. And it didn't look like it was trying to hurt Matthew. It didn't really bother me at all. All right. Well, I don't know if I managed to catch a couple of EVP here, but I'm going to go ahead and play them for you and see what you think. Whenever I'm listening to audio and an EVP or something that I think is an EVP pops up, it always like, I don't know, it does something in my brain. It makes me stop for a minute and go, what was that? And both of these spots made me do that. So I pulled them out. See what you think. Here's the first one. And I'll play it again. And one more time. And here's the second one. I'll play it again. And one more time. So I don't know if you guys heard it, but it sounded kind of like a ghostly moan or something on both of those. Some kind of ethereal sound that I don't think anybody in our groups made. That's for you to decide. This was a great tour. Chelsea was great. I really enjoyed talking to the Caboose guy. I don't know about the other tour guides that people went with, but I didn't hear any complaints about it. I know that Jerry and Tracy did both tours, so they got themselves Waverly Hills sanatoriumed out, I would think. But it was just a fabulous time. I want to thank all of the listeners who came out to the live show to hang out with us and to uh, listen with us and then came to Waverly Hills with us and then also participated in the Louisville ghost tour with me on Friday night. And then there were a handful of us that went to Mammoth Cave, which is about two hours south on Sunday. And Mammoth Cave is actually haunted as well. We didn't have any experiences in there, but it was very cool to walk through there. So I just want to thank all of you guys for coming to hang out. I really appreciated that. Visiting Waverly Hills is an experience that every paranormal enthusiast needs to have. I myself look forward to visiting again. Nothing scared me here, but I definitely feel like I had experiences. Are the former patients and staff still wandering the halls in the afterlife? Is Waverly Hills haunted? That is for you to decide. want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We did receive an email from Katniss. She said, hi, Diane. I've been listening to History Goes Bump for about three months now, and I love it. My school is over 100 years old and was a hospital long before it was a school. Just a couple of days ago, I was sitting in the hallway of one of the buildings listening to History Goes Bump. The building I was sitting in has seen quite a few deaths, so it doesn't surprise me that this happened. Anyway, I was sitting in the hallway listening to your podcast when my Bluetooth headphones suddenly turned off, even though I had fully charged them about an hour prior to this incident. My earphones wouldn't come back on until I left the building. Also, I'm still catching up on listening to all of the podcast episodes, and I just listened to your episode on the Salem Witch Trials. I noticed that you and Denise weren't sure if Wiccans believed in the devil or hell or not. I'm a practicing Wiccan, and Wiccans think of the devil and hell as imaginary. Just thought I would clarify. Thanks for sharing both of those things with us, Katniss. Appreciate that. And then Lexi took a trip down to Key West, and she wanted to share with us. We stayed right next to the Audubon House, which I highly recommend touring. Some attractions I highly recommend also are the Hemingway House, the Aquarium, Mel Fisher Museum, Treasure Museum, Ripley's Believe It or Not, the Lighthouse, and Fort Zachary Taylor. And definitely buy snorkel gear and snorkels at the Fort Zachary Taylor Beach. Of course, we did a few ghost tours while there. We did the Graveyard Bus Tour and the Hunt. Definitely recommend both. They were fun and interactive. I'll send a picture over of the orb I caught on camera. We also met Robert the Doll in our ghost trip. Let me tell you, he is amazingly creepy and you definitely need to ask permission to take his photo. 
My fiance jokingly asked his permission, and on the day we were supposed to fly home, our flight was delayed, so we then missed our connecting flight and had to wait six hours at the airport for the next flight. Ask permission. Key West was amazing, and I cannot wait to go back. Well, thank you, Lexi, for sharing that. And also, that ore picture is pretty creepy. It's definitely flying through the air and has like a streak of light behind it. So I don't know what that is. And then there's Robert the doll. Maybe I shouldn't look at it. <laughs> like, give me bad luck. I want to share a couple of Apple podcast reviews. The first one is from Canada, Ctrem831, five stars, making history fun. Love these ladies. I've studied history in university, and if these ladies were teaching, I would have paid way more attention. I'm a bit behind everyone else as I have only just discovered this pod, but let me tell you, this is truly a binge-worthy show. Great job, ladies. Truly entertaining, informative, and a little chilling. And that was Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. And then back over here to America, Busy Mom Weaver, perfect blend of history and horror, five stars. I really enjoy the historical approach. Diane explores interesting locations and presents the facts and the creepy stories, too. This one continues to grow on me. Well, hope it continues to do that for many, many years to come. Thank you for those reviews. If you haven't given us one, please consider doing so. We would greatly appreciate it. I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the graveyard, Ken Milligan. You're going to be getting a marble headstone. Thanks. Come with me, Ken. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. (laughs) 